Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Welcome to 2023 from us here at the River to River crew. The Iowa legislative session kicks off next week. Now, we know in the midterm elections, Republicans in the Iowa legislature increased their majorities in both chambers, both in the Senate and the House. They have their largest majorities in decades, and the Iowa GOP has a super majority in the Senate. What will they do with it? Uh, One of the main questions we'll be looking at this hour, uh, we check in with journalists who are covering the State House on a daily basis to find out what they have their eyes on, and uh, how these issues may impact you uh, as Iowans. Uh, uh, We want to welcome your calls uh, later in the hour after we lay some groundwork. We hope to have some calls from you. What legislative issue are you specially concerned about? 1-866-780-9100, 1-866-780-9100, or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Let's kick uh, things off with our state government reporter here at IPR, Katarina Sestarek. Happy New Year to you. Um, Glad to be uh, with you on this very first uh, River to River of the year. Hi, Ben. Happy New Year. Uh, Let's get a firm footing on the issues that will be presented to us, likely, uh, in this legislative session, this new year, by having you start off by giving us some context. Remind us, if you could, of the most significant bills from 2022 last year. Right. So Republicans were also in the majority last year. Um, Their big priority and what they passed um, in the 2022 session was some sweeping income tax cuts. Um, So state income tax rates are set to phase into a flat 3.9 percent by 2026. They took away the income taxes on retirement income and they cut corporate taxes, too. Um, They also cut unemployment benefits, the max duration that people can receive those. Um, and required claimants to accept a lower-paying job more quickly. So those are two major changes that were passed in the 2022 session. And then there was a lot of discussion, but this didn't end up passing, about state-funded scholarships for private schools. Uh, This was Governor Kim Reynolds' big priority for the 2021 and 2022 sessions, but she couldn't get enough House Republicans on board to pass it, and she's going to be proposing something similar again this year. Mm-hmm. And with the other uh, guests we have on the show, we'll dig into that issue specifically in, in depth in a few minutes. Any other perhaps failed legislation you see coming back in, in 2023? There have also been attempts to pass um caps on damages in lawsuits related to medical malpractice and related to trucking accidents. So we're expecting to see something on that again this year. Um, And there have also been attempts to address some Iowans' concerns with proposed carbon capture pipelines Mm -hmm. in the state. Um, So that's probably going to be a big issue this year, too. Okay. Uh, Katerina, let's uh, welcome um, Aaron Murphy of the Gazette uh, and Stephen Gruber-Miller of the Des Moines Register. Uh, Aaron is the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you and to Stephen Gruber-Miller, uh, a familiar voice here on River to River. Stephen is the Des Moines Register State House reporter. Hi, Stephen. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Ben. 
Okay, we'll get your mic up there in just a moment, I'm sure. Um, let's, let's start off by making, I mentioned at the outset, a supermajority in one of the chambers of the legislature. Um, perhaps, uh, Aaron, you can start us off by telling us uh, what that is. We have, uh, check my numbers, I think these are correct. In the Senate, uh, the GOP, uh, Iowa GOP, gained two seats. Now we have 34 Republicans, 16 Democrats. That's up two seats in the House, four seats. Um, uh, the uh, Republicans with uh, 64 and the Democrats with 36. Uh, so the supermajority in the Senate, Aaron, means what? Yeah, so um, a couple things. Just broadly speaking, it means that many more votes that Republican have to, Republicans have to pass legislation, that much more cushion, where if they have a bill that maybe not all Republicans agree on, they'll still be able to get to 25, uh, to 26, I'm sorry, uh, in order to pass a bill. So that cushion gets even wider. But um, more specifically and procedurally, what that means specifically in the Senate is they now have a two-thirds majority in the Senate, and uh, that number is important when it comes to uh, the Senate's confirmation of the governor's appointees to state uh, boards and agencies, and including uh, state agency heads, like, for example, Kelly Garcia of the State Health and Human Services Department. When those nominations come to the Senate, it requires a two-thirds vote. So in the past, you needed at least a few Democrats to also vote for some of those for those nominees. So, so if all Democrats opposed a, a certain nominee, that person wouldn't have enough votes to be confirmed and the governor would have to appoint someone else. Now, with that uh, 34 number, Republicans have enough that as long as all Republicans approve of a nominee from the governor, who is also Republican, then they can approve that person. It, it does not require any votes of approval from Democrats anymore, at least for the next two years. Mm -hmm. Stephen Gruber-Miller, your thoughts on the Senate supermajority? I don't think it will change the way the Senate operates too much. Uh, they haven't had difficulty confirming most of Governor Reynolds' appointees, uh, with a few exceptions. Um, and so as long as all the Republicans stick together, like Aaron said, they'll be able to confirm those folks. But otherwise, on in terms of major legislation, Senate Republicans have mostly hung together and passed uh, the top priorities for Governor Reynolds. In the House, it'll be interesting to see whether there are enough Republicans to, to pass some of Reynolds' proposals that haven't succeeded in, in previous years. Mm-hmm. Another thing I'd point out is we're coming into this session with an extraordinarily high number of new lawmakers who have not previously been in office. And that's because we're coming off of a redistricting year where the district lines were redrawn. A number of lawmakers retired or faced each other in, in primaries or in the election. And so there'll just be a lot of new faces that kind of adds a, a level of uncertainty uh, about what those priorities will be you know, whether they'll side with the governor, kind of how they'll approach big pieces of legislation. Okay. If you'd like to join in our conversation as we preview the coming legislative session to begin next week here in Iowa, one 780 9100 one 780 9100 river to river at iowapublicradio.org. And uh, what you mentioned there at the beginning, the private school scholarships, uh, another attempt of uh, one of the governor's main priorities. With these increased majorities in both chambers, uh, how does that impact the Democrats' agenda? 
um, in, in your view? Well, it'll just make it even harder for them to get any of their priorities through. It was already, you know, they already didn't get to set the agenda um, in the legislature because Republicans control the whole state house at this point, um, and they have for several years now. Um, but um, you know, the smaller number of Democrats that there are, the less likely it is they can really influence, you know, the outcome of um, any votes or to really get any of their priorities passed. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and Aaron, uh, back to you. Um, so the Democrats in this position with weakened minority status there, um, what can they do? They can they can try to to fight some of the issues they they just don't want to be passed. Yeah, that's that's essentially the position they're in. Is is just they'll have to step up to the microphone and and convey that. Uh, message to Iowans in any way they can uh, when they feel so compelled. And that may be on the floor of the House and Senate, you know, speak during um, debate over bills and, and express their opposition uh, when they feel necessary or, or you know, holding press conferences, talking to the media. Um, but essentially that that is it. it. When you're in the minority party in both chambers and especially when you're in the minority by this wide a margin, it's really hard to um, uh, have any kind of impact, especially in those bills, those controversial bills that divide legislators along party lines. Um, obviously, there's a lot of bills that get passed that have bipartisan agreement, and, and, and you don't typically hear those uh, about those because that's kind of the, the normal machinations of the, the legislature. Um, you know, Democrats, I assume, will be involved in some of those and, and help their Republican colleagues uh, you know, move those bills that have, you know, wide agreement on. But but when it comes to those uh, big ones where there's you know, a lot of back and forth between the, the two major political parties, uh, Democrats just won't have much uh, of an avenue to influence the way those bills turn out. Mm-hmm. We're taking a legislative preview of the coming session to start next week here in Iowa. Aaron Murphy of the Gazette, Stephen Gruber-Miller of the Des Moines Register, and our own Katerina Sestarek of IPR News. Let's uh, tackle education here. Uh, first of all, Stephen, uh, if you could start us off, remind us what the governor is advocating here. Uh, Katerina said, you know, that the failure last year, this has been a priority for hers for what, a couple of years now, hasn't it? Remind us uh, of, of the plan that, that she unveiled, which has uh, thus far failed, uh, even with some of her Republicans. Right. This will be the governor's third year trying some version of this proposal. We don't know exactly what the new proposal will look like, but last year she essentially said that she wanted to give up to 10,000 families these taxpayer-funded scholarships that they could use to send their kids to private school or homeschool and pay expenses there. Uh, you know, some Republicans are in favor of this because they say, you know, the state dollars should follow those students and, and those parents should have the ability to send their kids to private school if that's what's best for them. And Democrats have said that the way this is set up would siphon funds from public schools and really damage them and damage especially rural schools' ability to uh, serve their students. You know, if if they lose those per-student dollars that they get, uh, rural schools might not be able to offer all their programming. It makes a big difference when you lose funding for a few different uh, students. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the objections that have stopped the governor from being able to get that proposal through the Iowa House, even though they have a Republican majority. And it will be interesting this year. Again, we said they have 64 seats. Uh, that would be enough to lose, you know, 13 
votes. Someone check my math. But there's been more opposition than 13 members in the past. And I've, you know, I've heard that there may be significant opposition still. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if the governor changes her tack at all or if she even uh, expands what she's suggesting. Because she, she spoke on the campaign trail about wanting every student have the ability to um, choose where uh, they go to school or wanting every family to have that ability for their student. Mm-hmm. And Aaron Murphy, if memory serves me, the governor um, acting against those uh, in her own party uh, during the last year campaign, some of them uh, for not supporting her in this, correct? Yeah, that's why this is, uh, it'll be interesting to watch this debate unfold because uh, Stephen's absolutely right about the numbers. But on the other hand, as you mentioned there, we have new members uh, within that 64 um, in, including in, in, including the loss of some legislators, some Republican legislators who in the past had been opposed to this uh, proposal specifically because Governor Reynolds campaigned, as you said, been against members of her own party. Um, Did she manage to unseat some of them or all of them? And I don't know the number off the top of my head, but she did. There was, uh, I want to say, roughly a handful. Yeah, just Katarina's throwing I think it was four, four fingers up at me. Yeah, yes, yeah, Stephen. Uh, yeah. So, so, the, so, so that transition has taken place too. Um, uh, so, so it'll be interesting to see. And, and, and as Stephen alerted to earlier, we have a lot of new members, just generally speaking, too. And, and so we'll find out where they all stand on this within the Republican caucus. Um, the one thing I will say. Mm-hmm is in talking to House Speaker uh, Pat Grassley before this session, talking to him about the myriad issues that will come up. He, he did say to our team that he thinks there's a good chance that something will pass this year. Um, that's a different tone that he has taken in previous sessions. Um, now, what that looks like, as Stephen said, we don't know. Um, it could be completely different than what was proposed last year. But uh, uh, Pat Grassley seems a little more um, open to the idea of something passing in the House where it didn't pass in previous years. Um, and he has created a new committee uh, specifically for education reform. And now this is just my personal observation, but as someone who's covered the legislature, it seems like you don't create a committee uh, on a specific topic to then not pass legislation on that topic. Join our conversation as we have uh, our state house uh, journalists um, comment on and uh, tell us what they have their eyes on for this coming legislative session. One eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred River to River at iowapublicradio.org. Let me just throw in this email comment from one of our listeners in the last few moments, uh, writing in via email. I'm really hopeful that the governor can get the school choice vouchers passed this year, Sam writes. Right now, private schools seem to be the exclusive domain of wealthy families. People like me who cannot afford a private education are forced to send our kids to the local public school. My local school has been getting worse lately. They have problems with bullying, vandalism, and even suicide. That's never happened before in my memory. I want to send my kids someplace better, but I cannot afford a private education on my own. I see this bill as an equal opportunity measure to make private education more fair for poor families like mine. Uh, end quote from uh, an email uh, Sam sent to us, one of our listeners. Um, Stephen, uh, uh, comment on that, because there's a, there's a flip side of that argument as, as well, um, that, 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 um, to, to the points that, that Sam write, writes about. Yeah, and what we just heard from, from that 
uh, email is has been a big part of Governor Reynolds' argument here is that it shouldn't just be wealthy families who can send their students to private school. It should be all families. So one of the, the criticisms of the legislation was that the way that it's set up, you know, the scholarships were were offered to those families who would be switching their students out of public schools. So, you know, that didn't help the perception that it was, uh, you know, public versus private here and that it was a zero sum game. The governor repeatedly says that it's not a zero sum game, but her critics disagree. So uh, perhaps she'll change the structure of, of who is eligible for scholarships in the coming year, but that's been a concern in the past. Mm-hmm. Unless uh, one of you has a comment on the school choice issue, we want to talk about education a little bit later in a different vein, the K-12 through transparency, the challenged material um, uh, issues that we've talked about in past programs uh, last year. Uh, but uh, first, let's uh, let's go uh, to uh, our first caller. Ed Fallon is, is with us. That is a name probably familiar to um, some of you. Uh, uh, Ed Fallon is a uh, former uh, Iowa representative, a Democrat. Uh, uh, welcome uh, to our program, uh, Ed Fallon. Thank you. Good to be here. I appreciate the conversation about education. Very important. Uh, I'm very concerned about uh, what's going to be done to respond to all the public outcry against these carbon dioxide pipelines. Mm. There seems to be fairly bipartisan uh, and very, very deep support across the state to change the law so that eminent domain cannot be used by a private company. I mean, historically, eminent domain was for strictly public purposes, and we've seen that that function, you know, uh, de- be de- denigrated over the last few years, and, and I think now it's kind of coming to a head, and I really think the legislature ought to, you know, address it in a, in a very profound way and probably have bipartisan support to do so. Yeah. Aaron Murphy, I think at the Gazette you've dug into this um, issue a number of times in your research, in your writing. These are uh, c- proposed carbon capture pipelines that would cross Iowa, um, and uh, they're making, um, <laughs> in, in political terms, interesting bedfellows, right? Environmentalists uh, in their opposition teaming up with some that aren't often on, on the same side. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. It's it's made some for some interesting political bedfellows at the at the Capitol as well on this. And in and, and as I say that, what I mean is mostly in um, um, a lack of uh, willingness to really tackle this head on. Uh, legislators in both parties uh, on this issue seem very hesitant to dive into this issue and 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 get a bill across the finish line. Um, uh, you have uh, both Republicans and Democrats who kind of say the same thing. You know that they they uh, that they understand both sides of it. They 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 want to help people protect their property rights, and they understand the they have cons- they share concerns about the use of eminent domain in in some cases. But but you'll also hear those legislators say that. Um, um, you know, Democrats will say we think these can be a good thing um, to to help the ethanol industry um, in Iowa, and 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 Republicans um, uh, will say that they 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 support the the that the work that the pipelines can do for the ethanol industry as well. Democrats will side uh, with the unions that build these. Uh, things so so it's a very interesting discussion right now and uh, uh, when I talk to legislative leaders about this topic it, it, the common thread I heard was we hear Iowans concerns about this we hear people on both sides talking about it we understand it's an issue that needs to be addressed 
we just don't have a plan yet for how we're going to address that. So I, I don't know. I'm sure we'll see proposals. I'm sure we'll see bills. I don't know that we'll see something get past this year. That's going to be a fascinating one to me, again, to watch this session. Mm -hmm. Uh, Quickly, before we say goodbye to you, uh, former State Representative Fallon, uh, do you have any predictions here? (laughs) You know, that was a question that was always asked at the beginning of every session that I was involved with for 14 years. (laughs) The the smart answer is no. Uh, (laughs) I know what the right thing to do is. I mean, there is real concern about this, and it's not going to go away. Uh, the legislature should do something. Will they? You know, there's a lot of money and power uh, fighting against any changes, but the will of the public is pretty clear. People want to see this address. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Ed Fallon, for, for uh, calling in, and we'll certainly follow this issue through 2023. We appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, before we go to break, let's get a, hopefully at least one or perhaps two quick callers in. John is uh, with us from Ankeny. I have to ask you to be uh, quick uh, before our break. John, what's on your mind? I think you want to talk about education again, right? Uh, as the parent of a trans teenager, I was wondering what uh, anti-trans legislation might be proposed and possibly passed since the governor and many Republicans campaigned on such issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, John and uh, Ankeny, thank you so much. Katerina, what can you uh, tell tell John ab- about that legislation? Perhaps some background there, too. Right. I've asked that same question to um, the legislative leaders, particu- particularly the Republican legislative leaders. They really haven't given specifics, um, but they do. The, you may recall that there was um, some news coverage last year of an issue in the Linmar School District where um, the governor and uh, Congresswoman Ashley Hinson were very up in arms about the school district um, keeping students' pronouns and um, transgender identity confidential from their parents in some cases, or that was an option. Um, So that's something that um, legislative leaders have said may be addressed in some way um, in the upcoming legislative session. Um, And of course, last year, um, Republicans took the step of banning transgender girls and women from participating in girls and women's sports. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, okay. Uh, also an issue we'll follow if it arises here in the coming year. Um, we'll get back to more callers. Uh, if you'd like to join our conversation as we preview the coming legislative session uh, with three of our state house journalists, IPR's Katerina Sestarek, Aaron Murphy of the Gazette, and Stephen Gruber-Miller of the Des Moines uh, Register. So much to get to before this hour ends, and we're already halfway through. Uh, we want to talk about some other education issues, uh, taxes, will they um, surface in new proposed legislation? Abortion access, of course, a big issue we want to tackle as well. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about those and uh, hopefully some of your comments. 1-866-780-9100. River to River at iowapublicradio.org. Back with Katerina, Aaron, and Stephen in just a moment. I'm Ben Kiefer. It's IPR News. Support for IPR comes from the University of Iowa School of Planning and Public Affairs, still accepting applications for Fall 2024 Master of Public Affairs and Master of Urban and Regional Planning. Details at sppa.uiowa.edu. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. 
Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. And we are back with this very first River to River episode of 2023. Welcome to the new year (laughs) from us here at Iowa Public Radio's uh, talk shows. And uh, we have today a preview of the 2023 legislative session, which will begin next week. Uh, We have three Statehouse journalists joining us, Stephen Gruber-Miller of the Des Moines Register, Aaron Murphy of the Gazette, and our own Katerina Sestarek, our IPR's Statehouse reporter. We invite you to join us as we discuss as many of the top issues likely to be addressed in this session. Um, do you have a, uh, an issue that sticks out that is of special concern to you? one 780 9100 one or email us river to river at iowapublicradio.org. We spent a good deal of the last half hour talking about education, and we still have some um, another aspect of that to get into. But let's go to uh, Jane in Des Moines, um, Jane, welcome to our program. Uh, you've been listening. What's on your mind? I see education is <laughs> is on your mind. Um, <clears throat> lack of funding for ISU, the University of Iowa, and the University of Northern Iowa. I have teenage grandchildren who should be going to college next year, and I'm very concerned about whether or not they'll be able to afford it without going deeply into debt. Mm. Okay, Jane, thank you very much for that comment. I don't know if uh, any, uh, do we expect from our panel here any um, movement on higher education in terms of budgeting? Well, the Board of Regents, um, which is the group that includes those universities, um, they definitely um, want our planning to ask the Iowa legislature for a budget increase, um, but they haven't had much luck in the past few years in getting um, the money that they asked for from the uh, Republican-led legislature. Um, it's uh, it's not clear to me. I'm not sure if Aaron or Stephen have any more information what, what they might do this year on that. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me that uh, they've had more issues in, in the Senate, getting the Senate to approve additional funding. Last year, the House Republican leadership was working with some of the three university presidents on proposals that would be more targeted towards certain high demand careers uh, that might be able to provide them some more funding for things like that. That could be a conversation that comes back up this year. Yeah, I'll I'll just add on to that. That That's exactly what I'm hearing, too, is if, if there's any increase in state funding for the regions, it's going to be very specific and very targeted towards certain programs and uh as Stephen said with with specific careers in mind um it, it it is difficult to imagine uh the makeup of this legislature adding much in in the way of new uh increased funding for regions that just hasn't been their um mo uh, over the recent years and 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 I haven't heard anything that would 
signal a, a pending change to that approach. Pivoting back to K-12 through education, we had in the first half hour, I read an email from Sam who really hopes that the governor can get school choice uh, vouchers passed this year. Tim of Ankeny writes, perhaps in response to Sam, I strongly object to taking public dollars and giving it to private entities. It is a zero-sum game, Tim writes. Uh, those who claim they can't afford private schools have uh, must realize they can take they can't take money from public use for private use. Private schools have scholarships that can help. End of the email uh, from Tim in Ankeny. Thank you for that. River to River at iowapublicradio.org is our email address. Uh, let's address, uh, Stephen, perhaps I can go to you. We have an, another big uh, untouched area of education that carries over from 2022, um, namely what we're calling sort of school transparency, challenged materials, uh, requiring schools to post curriculum, um, lists of library books online. What can we expect perhaps in 2023 on that? I think there's a lot of interest among Republicans in continuing to talk about that. They weren't able to get a final agreement last year, I think partly because the governor wanted whatever they passed to be tied to her proposal on the scholarships, but it may come back in different forms this year. And we sort of alluded to it earlier when we were talking about potential laws around uh, what schools can can say or can tell parents, uh, you know, policies on transgender students. I think that the Republicans will frame this under the umbrella of transparency, uh, some of this as well, as well as the curriculum uh, stuff. And I think some of the things that are proposed are not that controversial. Um, but one of the, you know, such as posting curriculums online or, you know, informing parents about what's being taught in classrooms. Uh, but the way it was set up, uh, critics would s- said that it was just an administrative burden and just more logistical hoops for schools to jump through. So I think that those discussions will be back and they'll go through that new committee in the House, the Education Reform Committee. I think Speaker Grassley is interested in uh, I think maybe taking a little more ownership of those things and kind of making sure that they can get out of committee and, and give the whole uh, Republican caucus a chance to to talk about those and, and potentially get a vote on the floor. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about one of the big issues uh, that um, was in 2022, of course, 2022, a watershed year for abortion access across the country uh, because of the U.S. Supreme Court Dobbs decision, which was came out in the summer, uh, struck down 50 years of a federal guarantee to abortion uh, through uh, that d- to the states to decide. Katerina Sestarek, uh, set the stage here more and, and uh, talk about what you're watching in uh, this in terms of abortion access here in Iowa. Um, Iowa's got a, a number of um, uh, things here that we need to consider when, when we talk about abortion access in the state, don't we? Right. Well, currently, abortion is legal up to 20 weeks of pregnancy. um, And the top Republicans, so um, House Speaker Pat Grassley and Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitver, both are saying that they want to wait for a pending court case to related to abortion um, to be resolved before taking steps to um, further restrict abortion in the state. Um, So in 2018, the legislature passed uh, what supporters call a fetal heartbeat law that bans most abortions with some exceptions after um, a so-called fetal heartbeat can be detected, which can be as early as six weeks of pregnancy. Um, So that's still going through the courts at this point. Um, A lower court judge recently said that um, 
that law would still be unconstitutional under Iowa's current abortion law precedent. Um, And so now Governor Kim Reynolds is asking the Iowa Supreme Court to take that up and um, reconsider. Um, She wants the law to to take effect. Um, And the leaders of the legislature are saying until the Iowa Supreme Court weighs in on that and, and tells us, you know, how far we can go in restricting abortion, Um, that there's not really a point in moving forward with anything related to that until they have certainty from the Iowa Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aaron or Stephen, anything to add to that uh, debate as it stands right now from what we can see? Well, I think that while leadership is united, uh, there are many other Republicans in, in each of the caucuses in the House and the Senate who have been elected and many of whom feel very passionately about this on the Republican side. So I would think that we will see some proposals uh, related to restricting abortion, maybe early in the process as individual lawmakers propose things that they would like to see. The question will be how far through the process do they get? And my guess is not that far if leadership is saying they want to wait, but those, those will come up and they might get some conversations and it'll be interesting to see what kind of pressure is on Republicans. Mm-hmm. Aaron, like Aaron Murphy, you had a comment. Yeah, I was just going to add to that, and and another element of this that's out there is the the Republicans had started a constitutional a proposed constitutional amendment um, on abortion that would essentially um, enshrine into the um, Iowa Constitution to clarify that the Constitution does not guarantee um, access to an abortion. Um, Jack Whitford, Senate Republican uh, Majority Leader Jack Whitford, said that. Uh, he doesn't expect to move that one anymore either um, because of the the pending court case. And that's significant just because of the long process it takes to pass a constitutional amendment. So if they don't do that this year, it essentially starts a multi-year process all over. So it was interesting to hear him say that. And, and then the other thing I, he said that I just wanted to add to this is, so I asked him, Okay, you want to hold off until that court case. Well, what if the, we don't know the the Supreme Court schedule? You could mm-hmm. someone could ask for an expedited ruling, but if they don't get that, or and if this court doesn't decide throughout this legislative session, are you okay with going through a session without passing something on abortion? And he fell a little bit short of agreeing to that. So he has he said the same thing to me. We want to wait until the court decision. But when the hypothetical was presented, do you not pass anything then if the court hasn't ruled yet? He didn't go quite that far. I will mm-hmm. say Speaker Grassley said he would be okay with waiting until oh, the Oh, that's interesting. Year, so. okay. <laughs> yeah, he, he told me that as well. I think one thing we will see, probably regardless of what the court does, last year Republicans passed a, sort of a framework proposal for providing state funds to uh, nonprofits that uh, promote uh, women during pregnancy and, and early early motherhood, but they're that, that explicitly discourage abortion. And I think we'll see more funding for groups like that um, as Republicans talk about things that they're doing to maybe support families uh, from their perspective. So I would expect more money to go towards things like that, towards encouraging adoption, things that are maybe seen as tangentially related to abortion. The final 10 minutes uh, with our legislative preview uh, right before the new session that is to begin here in Iowa next week with Stephen Gruber-Miller of the Des Moines Register, Aaron Murphy of the Gazette, and Katerina Sestarek of IPR News. Uh, Let's go to uh, address uh, uh, an interesting, uh, and I know you deal with this every day, so it's good that Dirk, uh, one of our 
listeners um, wrote this email. He asks, are your guests worried about further loss of access to our elected officials? Included, uh, he included a link uh, to the Iowa Capitol Press Association, um, uh, which has been held annually for more than two decades. He says, has been canceled after Republican State House leaders declined to attend. Uh, so, uh, Aaron Murphy, start us off on this, what you've been experiencing uh, in your many years covering the State House. Yeah, and I'll I'll shift my I'll swap my cap over um, and, uh, and flip over the side that says president of the Iowa Capital Press Association on it, and and Katarina here's a fellow officer with me, and Stephen's been a very active and helpful member. But um, yeah, that that is definitely a concern, and and there's kind of been a trend in recent years uh, of just kind of little steps that have have made. Um, Covering the legislature or having access to legislative leaders or the governor um, more difficult, and and uh, your um, listener uh, is right. Uh, we, we just recently learned that uh, Governor Reynolds, Senator Whitfer, and uh, Speaker Grassley all declined uh, the invitation to participate in uh, what has, for the past two decades, been. Um, essentially a, a big press conference where we get to talk to all the leaders about the upcoming session and ask them questions about their agenda for the session and their plans for uh, Iowans. And um, for the first time um, uh, in in those many years, uh, all those uh, Republican leaders all declined um, the invitation to participate in that. Uh, so that was another disappointing step in, in what uh, many of us feel has been um, a little bit of whittling uh, away mm-hmm. at uh, state house reporter access. Yeah, um, uh, Katerina, to you uh, on this. I mean, disappointed certainly as journalists not having the access you're accustomed to. But when we say, well, how worried should Iowans who listen to Iowa Public Radio, who read the Des Moines Register or the Gazette, be with this reduced access? What difference will it make? Well, um, you know, just any less opportunity for reporters to ask questions to the people who are making laws and policies in our state is going to give less of an opportunity for Iowans to hear about, you know, what they're up to and what their reasoning is and the potential impacts of all of those things are. Um, and I also just want to mention that um, this for the second year, the Senate is, again, not letting um, reporters sit on the press benches that reporters sat on on the floor of the Senate for over 100 years, I think we mm-hmm. figured out. Um, and that, again, is just something that, you know, it's going to be harder to access yeah. um, members of the Senate. So, Stephen, your concerns here. I think Katarina is right. The people who uh, are harmed here are the members of the public, right, who have less ability to know what's happening and being done on their behalf by their elected officials. So um, I, I don't look at it as being about less access for me personally, you know, it's my ability and my job to answer questions on behalf of Iowans. Mm-hmm. A few minutes left. Uh, let's squeeze in a few more uh, of the issues. And uh, Stephen, I think uh, you've been covering uh, medical malpractice lawsuits and uh, think that may be part of this next session. How so? Yeah, that was sort of a, it was a topic that came up last year that maybe flew under the radar for some people, but essentially, um, what Reynolds, Governor Reynolds and some of the Republicans would like to do is cap the amount of damages that you can win in a lawsuit uh, if there's a medical malpractice case or if there's a you know truck driving accident. And, you know, particularly with the medical malpractice cases, their argument is that um, big jury verdicts against doctors make it harder to attract doctors, especially to rural Iowa. 
um, you know, critics of that say that Iowa's, Iowa's rates, insurance rates for, for medical malpractice insurance are pretty low in comparison to other states. This isn't a huge issue. The large verdicts are pretty rare and it's not really a big factor. So um, the governor made this a priority last year and she may do so again this year. And we'll see because there have been a lot of people, including on the Republican side, who have have some concerns about telling Iowans you can only win this much money in a lawsuit, for instance, if you've been seriously injured. Mm -hmm. Let's touch on the financial side of of the state, uh, taxes, um, the budgetary issues. Aaron, uh, Republicans have used their legislative majorities uh, in the past to pass several rounds of tax cuts in recent years. Any expected new area of tax legislation you're watching? Absolutely. And Katarina mentioned that up at the top, that the, the recent uh, income taxes cuts. And, and so they've pretty much done their work on that for now. It, it sounds like the, the target now is property taxes. Um, and, and Republican leaders uh, told us, you know, we hear from all the all the time from Iowans that they're upset with property tax increases. So, so that's definitely going to be a discussion. And it's going to be an interesting one because that brings local governments into the discussion. That's how cities, counties, and school districts, uh, that's where a lot of their funding comes from is property tax revenue. So anything the state does will have a very direct and very real effect on those uh, local entities. And, and they're preparing for that discussion and, and uh, have concerns about what may or may not take place. It's another one where we don't have a specific plan yet, but but a definite pledge from majority Republicans to address property taxes in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the discussion of education that has consumed quite a bit of um, our hour here is uh, generating uh, more um, email from our listeners. Let's uh, bookend this program by talking a little bit about that, or I'll just share some of the emails. Ruth writing, well, Brett writing, for instance, I'm against public school vouchers. Republican-led legislature seems to forget there is supposed to be a separation from church and state. It appears uh, the Republican Party doesn't want people to become educated, writes Brett. Uh, this has been demonstrated by years for years by cuts to the Board of Regents as well as K through 12. Um, but that's uh, Brett or Ruth writing with a question on this issue. She says, "I've not heard anyone anything from the governor about private school accountability for taxpayer dollars, and if they have to meet the same standards that public schools must. Will they have to account uh, will, to public school boards from which their funding comes from?" Uh, Ruth uh, writes, uh, "Who who can who can tackle that one?" That's. Um, Sorry, go well, ahead, Stephen. I'll take that one. That's an interesting question because I think, in part, some of the Republican opposition to uh, taking state dollars and putting them towards private schools is actually Republicans who are concerned that private schools might have to offer more uh, information to the state, right? Traditionally, they have been separate, right? They're private entities. They don't have to report the same things as public schools, Um their accountability and the standards are a little bit different in what they can offer. And so it's it's actually interesting that that question is raised because from a conservative standpoint, there have been Republicans who are worried that giving state dollars to private schools will put more strings on those private schools. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely, cr- you know, critics uh, on the left are worried that uh, giving state money to private schools that don't necessarily have to accept every student uh, isn't the right way to go because it's not equitable. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Aaron, you had a comment. Yeah, no, Stephen covered it. That that's exactly what I was going to say. Was they bring up a, a a point of criticism over that legislation at the past that uh, if we're giving taxpayer funding to these schools like we do public schools, then that they should be held to the same uh, accountability and reporting standards that public schools do. And and as of now, that is not a part of the plan. Yeah. Uh- a couple of minutes left of our conversation. I wanted to touch on gun laws. So over the past years, the majority of the GOP lawmakers have significantly loosened Iowa's gun laws. Um, Iowa voted uh, last year to explicitly add the right to keep and bear arms to the state constitution in our November elections. That was on the ballot. That amendment won by a large margin, 65 percent of Iowans voting in favor, 35 percent opposed. Uh, Stephen, are we likely to see more GOP gun legislation this season? That's a good question. And some top lawmakers, including uh, House Majority Leader Matt Winchettel, have promised uh, something, but they've been vague on specifics. Mm. The important thing to note is that this constitutional amendment that passed really shifts the landscape in Iowa. And so perhaps there are things that they Republicans wouldn't have thought that they could do before that they may now be able to do. I don't have any specifics. I'm not quite sure what they might have in mind, but uh, certainly they may have more freedom to try to pass things that they uh, wouldn't have been able to in the past. Time for a quick comment um, uh, from Katerina. Uh, before we go, any other things that we didn't get in the <laughs> in, just as a quick mention? Um, I think I would just add to what Stephen said and that um, – Republicans have already been able to roll back a lot of gun um, restrictions in the state even before this constitutional amendment passed, such as taking away the permit, the requirement to get a permit to carry or buy a handgun, um, and and more than that as well. So, um, yeah, again, it's just interesting to see what they have left on their list. They haven't told us yet. Yeah, the final 30 seconds to Aaron Murphy of the Gazette. Yeah, just one last topic that we didn't cover that I'll maybe throw in there. Um, Senator Dan Dawson, a Republican from Council Bluffs, plans to uh, once again introduce his plan that would um, do some shifting with the sales tax, sales tax, and and try to address through that process uh, the natural uh, resources and outdoors. Uh, fund for water quality and recreation products. Um, It's a tough sell because it raises taxes, but he's trying to make it net zero. Uh, It'll be an interesting one to watch again this session. So many things to keep our eyes on. We're glad you're there for us. Our Statehouse journalists, Aaron Murphy of the Gazette, Stephen Gruber-Miller of the Des Moines Register, and Katerina Sestarek of IPR News. Thank you, the, the three of you, for giving us a legislative preview. We look forward to the rest of your coverage this year. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network.